What's up, it's Matt. What's good, it's your boy Darius. Yo, it's Josh. You are now tuned in to another episode of Dominate the Decade Podcast. Let's go. I'm trapped in. I'm trapped in, I know it. Hey, I know I'm trapped, I'm trapped, I'm trapped, I know I'm trapped. Yeah, yeah, hey, look. All right, fellas, hey, we had to come back with the season one bonus episode, having a lot going on in Washington and a lot of major cities throughout the United States of America. So, uh, uh, Darius, what, what's been going on across the, uh, really across the U.S. right now? Okay, so uh, in case you have been, you know, under a rock the last week, <laughs> uh, the main thing, the big thing that happened uh, is a collection of Trump supporters, and I'm gonna try to be as unbiased in my coverage of this as possible. A collection of Trump supporters uh, rallied at the cap- the US Capitol um, on the day that the, I believe it was the House and the Senate, they were going to certify the election results uh, because Donald Trump has been contesting them for months now. Um, and I guess he finally took the, decided to take the L. Uh, Anyway, so yeah, they were meeting to certify those results uh, and they were met with what turned into violent protests uh, and riots and looting um, on behalf of the Trump supporters. I believe grand total, five people were killed total. Um, One Trump supporter that I know of, one police officer, um, and I'm not sure who the other three people would have been. I think probably some other supporters. Um, I know one guy got tased. So yeah, probably been more Trump supporters and police uh, killed in that instance. And I know so, several other people were injured. Um, but yeah, a lot of people are calling out the the double standard between how, you know, police would have responded to a Black Lives Matter protest or really any protest involving Black people or people of color um, and how the police were responding to these sort of violent protests. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of the big thing. Also, uh, we would be remiss to not acknowledge the fact that Georgia turned blue. Uh, We got two new senators, both Democrats from Georgia, Reverend Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff. Um, Those results came in on the same day, but they definitely got overshadowed by, you know, the the riots at the Capitol, so yeah. Yeah, it seemed like for the longest, when we talk about the difference between how they would, how the police officers would have responded to like the Black Lives Matter protests, it was like the police officers in this one were trying to resist as much as possible, almost being as if I really don't want to have to do this. And it just seems like they're a little bit trigger happy when it comes to the Black Lives Matter. Just just to make sure everybody understands this, when you say certify the results, could you kind of like just kind of go more in depth right there? So basically, uh, the representatives and senators or whatever, they basically at the end of a results, uh, at the end of an election, excuse me, they're like, OK, well, yes, we acknowledge the fact that these are the results of the election. Uh, just basically saying like, okay, cool. Like this is the last thing that has to happen before we actually make this person president just to like go ahead and basically just make, uh, what is the word that I'm trying to think of? Basically just put that kind of final stamp of approval. Like, okay, cool. This, this actually happened. These are legitimate law abiding results. And this is how we're going to move moving forward. Do you think that these people that decide to storm do you think they thought they were going to be able to actually stop this or what was their mindset in being able to do so? What y'all think? Yeah. See, so, oh. see that's my bad. Darius. That's my thing. Like 
I just didn't understand the end game that they had. Like, I I understand wanting to protest. Like, I, I I might be in the minority here. Like, it is your constitutional right to be able to protest and protest peacefully. Did they protest peacefully? No, they didn't. Yeah. Um, so we're not on that train. But I just don't understand what they were like wanting to do in that situation. Like, okay, we're gonna get into the Capitol. Then what? Like what was it and all I saw was like a whole bunch of videos of people like running around like going into people's offices taking things and it it really just didn't make too much sense to me what the plan was outside of we're going to wreak havoc on this day and do anything that we can to disturb the process of certifying Joe Biden as the next president of the United States. It seemed to me that these people are coming from a, a perspective they're used to getting their way. And now that they did not get their way, it was like, no, nah, nah, nah. then you just have this emotional response. It's like, yo, this, this is happening. It's funny because I feel like black people everywhere is like, oh yeah, yeah, this is happening. We're watching the TV, like there's nothing y'all could do about this. And so therefore they just emotionally respond and lash out, bringing weapons and stuff in. And it just was crazy. And I, like I said, I keep saying this. If you're looking from another country and you're looking at America, I feel like the other country like, y'all, we ain't doing so bad after all. Like, those people over there in America just don't know what's going on. Like, it, it's insane. Yeah. Uh, I think, and uh, me and Josh were talking about it yesterday on a different call, but I said this too. Like, this is the sort of thing that we normally invade other countries for doing. Yes. Like, what is happening? Like, just in any regard, like, like y'all have been saying, like, what did, what was your end game? What were you thinking? But then on the other hand, I know exactly what they were thinking because they're used to, like you said, them getting their way. Like this has always been their country. They've always, you know, you know, been the ones calling the shots. Things have always gone their way. Uh, whenever things, you know, even when things went wrong, it still worked out for them in the end. And that that's just not, that's not what's happening now. And so now you do have this violent outburst because they have no other way to respond. If you look just throughout history, whenever we've made steps toward progress, these group of people, people who think like them have always responded in the same way. Like, you know, whenever uh, black people were making strides towards, you know, racial equality in like the, the, um, the period ending after like the civil war, that's when you had a lot of, you know, lynchings and stuff happen. Like it's always been this, you know, we take steps forward, they, you know, while out and just do all this other stuff that normally, you know, wouldn't fly, but it does because it's this group of people, so. When there's no resistance, there's no progress. I don't know who said that, but that, I feel like that applies here. And so, uh, Darius, what do you think this means with Georgia winning, Georgia now becoming a blue state, right? Mm -hmm. What yeah. does that mean uh, altogether? So what I think this means for other, specifically Southern states is I think we no longer have any real excuse. Like, I think a lot of Southern states, politically, we just accept things for what they are like, oh, well, South Carolina is just a red state. There's no point in really putting forth a lot of effort just because that's what we are and it's what we always have been. Uh, but now we can see like, okay, well, if we take the time, effort and energy to invest in black communities politically, to make sure that we're doing all we can to not only get these people's vote, but keep these people's vote, uh, make sure that our agenda lines up with what their agenda is. And if we're actually supporting the black politically engaged people within our communities, instead of trying to bring in all these other outside people, people who know exactly how to communicate, uh, 
we can actually see things change. And so, like I said, I think now a lot of Southern states have just lost that excuse. So we actually have to put the work in now because we see that the work actually works. But I was saying before, with us making all this change, there's obviously going to be backlash. And so we just have to also be prepared to handle that uh, in whatever ways are necessary. And I think we just have to, you know, actually sit down and have some very serious and honest conversations, one amongst Black people about, you know, being politically engaged and two, you know, with our white people about like, okay, what does racial equity actually mean? What does it actually look like? And what is your role in bringing that forward? And it also means white people have to start talking to white people. Like, I'm not putting that all on Black people because that's the easy thing to do. That's kind of what always happens. But yeah, white people have a huge responsibility now to actually be a part of the problem, be a part of the solution, excuse me, not the problem. Yeah, you hear that, uh, I think Killer Mike said this before, it's like Black people, we got to kind of get together away from the camera, not have these conversations on CNN or places like that and have those discussions. And it's always best for white people, like whenever... You're correcting, let you're correcting or forming whatever case people that look like you instead of us talking to them. It's like you talk to somebody of your same race. Yeah, just kind of going back to the double standard. Uh, I will never forget this. And the the one thing that just kept playing in my mind over and over and over again uh, when this thing happened, episode one of the Dominate the Decade podcast was the day me and Josh went to uh, the George Floyd and Breonna Taylor protest. Yes, sir. Um, Immediately before we recorded, like not not 20 minutes, uh, I had to go pick up my roommate from downtown Columbia. And if anyone knows what that that night was like there, uh, SWAT teams all throughout downtown Columbia, you could not drive anywhere. They were forcing people to go home, arresting you if you were not home. Uh, so I was driving down downtown Columbia, usually a lively scene. It literally looked like a scene out of like The Purge or something, like armored trucks everywhere. I got to... There's a red light, I believe, it's at the corner of Gervais Street and Hugie Street. It's where the Panera Bread is. Again, like I said, just innocuous usually. Um, and I remember, we'll never forget, there were two SWAT, two police officers in SWAT gear held me at gunpoint, like pointed guns in my car and were like fingers on the trigger, all because I wanted to go downtown to pick up my roommate because he was at the protest earlier and just bring him back home. Sheesh. And so literally, like I was like shaking because I just knew I just knew that I was not going to make it back to my apartment that night because who's to say that like, you know, they just see, you know, a black dude behind the wheel of this SUV because I drive a Ford Explorer. Uh, who's to say that they just don't see me as like some like, you know, domestic terrorist is just going to drive his truck through, you know, the police barricade or whatever. So like, again, like I just that fear that I felt. I know for a fact that until, you know, people started getting shot at the Capitol, no one felt that because they knew that they weren't in danger. Right. So, like, it was just crazy to, to, for me to have experienced that, to just see these people being casually walked down the stairs after being escorted out of the Capitol. But I was, you know, people, held gu people pointed guns at me just for, like, trying to bring somebody home. So I was just, I was just blown away. And I mean... I know people at in Columbia probably listen to this podcast who were like tear gassed. Uh, worse than that, and it was just it's just crazy to obviously to know that there is a double standard to obviously, but to just have experienced it firsthand. Like I just couldn't get past that, and that was that was what angered me more than anything else. 
Yeah. Hey, they had the gun on you like you were doing the violent affairs that these people were doing in the White House. Exactly. Like, and it, yeah, that's insane. Yeah, I feel like the hypocrisy part is the most infuriating um, for the general consensus of people because, I mean, you heard like Black people, you heard white people saying it like if that was Black people, like they would have been like shot them down. Hey, and Adarius, okay, so I also kind of want to segue with this, and I think that's probably about it. So I, I'm sure everybody else has saw. So Twitter has officially banned Donald Trump uh, from tweeting, or go ahead, mm-hmm. please, take us more into detail about that. Yeah, so um, it's in response to the, the effect of his words and the rhetoric that he puts forth, how that, how that, led to people storming the Capitol in the first place and led to a lot of doing a lot of things over the past four years. So why it took them this long to ban him, I do not know. Um, but yeah, so it wasn't, it wasn't even just Twitter. Basically, the internet itself, like he's just banned. Like Google, I think, Snapchat, uh, was he banned from Snapchat? I think he was banned from apps that I don't even know that he was using. Yeah. But like, <laughs> so like I said, basically the internet, he's just, he just can't. Uh, so yeah, and it's just because of the fact that a lot of things he says inspires people to do, to act out in these ways. And so like a lot of people went to the Capitol because they feel like, you know, the election was stolen from him because he's straight up been saying that since he lost the first time. And he said that even after he's lost every legal challenge to the election. Uh, and so they finally took the, took the step of banning him from Twitter. Like, I think, he had like 14 days at this point to his presidency was over. So like I said, I really don't know what, well, I mean, I guess it's still beneficial because he doesn't lose his influence when he, when he stops being president. Uh, but again, I really don't know why it took him this long. I think it's crazy that this man had just been in press, like forget Twitter. This man was just the president for the past four years. And now, and now like his yeah. Twitter has been banned. It's like, wait, then what has he been promoting? For the past four years, potentially, I know that some people have been kind of going back at that and saying uh, stuff along the lines of it's not fair that Twitter can kind of take away his right, I guess, freedom of speech, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Uh, What would your response be to that? First off, I think freedom of speech has never equaled freedom from consequences. You can't. You. uh, so the parameters for which you can say whatever it is you want to say, there are parameters there. Like you can't say things that incite people to violence. Like that's just a commonly held standard, uh, which I mean, I don't think anyone is arguing at this point, except for his most out there supporters that the stuff he says doesn't lead people to do things. Uh, so that's, there's that. Secondly, Twitter is a private entity like if it was like a government thing like if we were on like a college campus or whatever but like yeah then he can pretty much say whatever he wants to say because that's that is like protected but twitter being like a private company they can stop him from saying certain things if they choose to uh that's within their rights the terms and conditions that nobody reads that's in there i'm pretty sure uh second or thirdly rather if trump was just a regular schmegular person like one of us uh i would feel differently about him being kicked off twitter but the fact that his twitter account alone has almost started several like international crises i think we're good to go ahead and kick him off like 
like I said, it's been a long time coming. The man almost started World War III. Like, what what more does he have to do? <laughs> like, yeah, I think the thing is, what more could he possibly do? It's like he, exactly. he's knocked on every door possible, so there ain't but so much left to do. And I guess Twitter said, "All right, now this is where we draw the line." I guess you could say. Yeah, and I mean, and I've been saying this like the thing that scares me is that when he's not president, what if he's been holding back this whole time? <laughs> like, what if like, now that he has nothing to lose really, like he could just go all out and just say, say exactly what he's been thinking this whole time. That's scary. So like, yeah, I definitely want him off Twitter now. He, and he and the other thing- No, let me just say this too. And he's had access to all of the top documents or whatever have you for the past couple of years. So if you really want to start some stuff, maybe divide a group of people, you start releasing stuff. Did y'all ever know about the 1996 and what that actually meant to people from your community? Like, you know, like the division's always at all time high. Now he can really make some stuff happen. Yeah. And the other thing too, I think the other thing I don't think people fully think about is that, yeah, he doesn't have social media accounts. Excuse me, but Donald Trump has not lost any ounce of a platform. Yeah. Like, he doesn't need Twitter to, to be himself, unfortunately. It helps, but it doesn't, it's not the end of him being what he wakes up every day and chooses to be, unfortunately. So, yeah, and I would say so. Maybe there's a little bit of an addition, but like you said, there's so many different mediums. And you know, obviously, he always has journalists on standby, and they can always get the message yeah. out, whether it be you know the his good friends at Fox or any of the other ones. They can get that message out if he's willing to say it. They got journalists willing to go report it. And this goes back to why Malcolm X says the media the media is so important. Exactly, and I wouldn't honestly because he loves Fox News so much. I wouldn't be surprised if he started having like his own TV programming on there. Like, you know, they will welcome that man with open arms because their ratings are about to go through the roof. And that's what it's all about. That, that's what it's all about. It's like, yes, it is to get the news, but we need the news that people watch so we get these commercials because that's what keeps the lights on. Exactly. Jeez, so, you know, a lot going on in the world. We, we were about to be done with the season, but we said we just had to come back and just... The, actually, what it was was that people wanted an episode, so we had to give people an episode. Darius, you got anything else? Uh... So a piece of good news that I did find, uh, <laughs> shout out to Naomi Osaka, the Dominate the Decade crew, we love some Naomi Osaka. Uh, she is, I believe, the face of Louis Vuitton now. What? So shout out to her. Really? Yeah, so, yeah as of, I think, I'm not gonna say today, I saw it today. I don't know exactly. Hey, hold Buying on. her mom and LV bag. You went out as soon as you said, I don't know exactly. Uh, I think you said something along the lines of just repeat it. You were like, I don't know if it was today or something like that. Just kind of go back and reset that again. Right. Yeah. So I don't know if it was made official today or if I just happened to see it today. Um, but yeah, so she's the face of Louis Vuitton. Uh, she tweeted that I believe when she was 16, she bought her mom a Louis Vuitton bag. And so now she's been buying her one every year since then. And now she's the face of Louis Vuitton. So it's like full circle. Uh, so shout out to her because Lord knows we needed some good news in the black community this week. So that is so major, like in a main fashion thing, like Louis Vuitton that they made. I just looked it up. She's their new brand, uh, newest brand ambassador. That's major. They mm. do not just give any, anybody that. And I think her influence is so strong right now, too. It's like they're like, we got to have yeah. we got. So now she's in obviously the fashion world, the sporting world, everything else. And then she's still supporting 
uh, black, she's black, so of course she's supporting, but she's really involved in the things and stuff like that uh, with the Black Lives Matter thing. So this is super great for her. Yeah, love, 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 love to see it. Yes, sir. So, um, there's you good. Yeah, I'm, I'm straight. Hey, got everything off your chest. Until next season. <laughs> Hold it till next season. All right. Thanks for tuning to another episode of Dominant Decade Podcast. We are out. Peace. Hasta luego.